All right, today I'm gonna give you the tools on how to be successful with the diet and nutrition plan without ever having to track, weigh, count, or do any of the crazy shit that goes on in the diet world. Now that being said, we just finished up a 21 day challenge. Well, technically not finished it. We're on day 19. So we finished on Sunday. And um, my last call yesterday with everybody doing the challenge was to give them the information and the tools to successfully exit this, you know, the challenge where you don't have to weigh food on a scale. You don't have to count calories or macros on a MyFitnessPal or tracking app of any sort. Um, and really to have become a little bit more sustainable and more intuitive like I've talked about. So I'm going to give you guys kind of the tools and structures today on how to do this so you don't ever really have to track things. Because A, hopefully you build intuition and you build some awareness in this process if you are tracking. Um, and just to preface this whole like labeling, not tracking thing forever, it's like I don't think tracking is something that should be done forever. And I also don't think tracking is something you should never do. I think it should be cyclical. And I think it should be done during the times where you want to be more strict with yourself. Um, but for a majority of my life and most of my life, I definitely do not want to be tracking. And these are the rules that I try to follow. Um, and if you're someone that has a weight loss goal, a health goal, a longevity goal, mental clarity goal, um, these are things that you should be following no matter what. So one of my main principles that I always like to look at is kind of like an overarching kind of goal for people is to become really, really metabolically flexible, right? And metabolically flexible is the definition of being able to use fats as a fuel source and be able to use carbs as a fuel source. Now, when your body is really, really dependent on glucose or glycogen or carbohydrates, in a sense, you're a rice burner, um, your body is not flexible in the aspect that it doesn't really burn fat very efficiently, right? Now, a lot of people, especially the sicko group of calories in, calories out, will come and argue that, well, it's like, well, if you're in a deficit, naturally, you're going to burn fat. And the answer to that is yes, but there's context. Uh, we want to get our body really, really efficient at doing that, right? So becoming metabolically flexible is your body's ability to be able to use fat when there's not a presence of carbohydrates or glycogen and use fat as the main fuel source of energy and be able to use carbs when it needs it and it gets feeds it, right? Here's one thing, or when it gets fed it and needs it. Um, one thing about carbohydrates and glucose and glycogen in general is we only store a few thousand calories of that in our body, right? So our, our muscles and our liver are the things that store glycogen. Obviously, the more muscle mass you have, the more you can store, which helps with insulin sensitivity, helps with you know blood sugar regulation, all that stuff, aka why you should be doing strength training at least three, four times a week um, and building muscle because it makes your life so much easier. Um, but when you look at, you know, period or like how we have periods where our body can burn more fat, right? Like that's the end goal for a lot of us is how do I get our body better burning at fat? And, you know, a lot of the keto people in that space, they go, oh, you know, the keto is so magical because when you eat a lot of fat, your body gets really good at burning fat. And the answer is, well, no shit. Like you're giving it a lot of something. Of course, it's going to get better at burning that thing. Like if I eat a lot of carbs, I'm naturally going to be good at burning more carbs because I'm eating more carbs, right? So there is some context. Well, there's always context to everything. But it is true, right? Like your body definitely gets more efficient at running on fat as a fuel source um, and ketones because you're not getting fed the glycogen and the glucose that you normally would. That being said, why I don't think keto is a great approach long term is because you lose insulin sensitivity. You don't have sustainability of not being able to have carbs in your diet anymore. So when you do eventually have them or they get introduced at a random place like a wedding, um, your body doesn't control them as well, right? So blood sugar reg regulation is just terrible. 
So I think for long-term health, I think it's important to be able to cycle carbohydrates um, and be a little bit more cyclical for some people. So there's two ways that you guys can become really, really metabolically flexible. Number one is having some type of fasting window. It could be intermittent fasting. It could be maybe once a week you do one meal a day, so you have a 24-hour fast. Maybe once a quarter you do a two- or three-day fast. Um, if you're someone that has a lot of fat to lose and a lot of weight to lose, maybe even doing something like an alternate-day fast or doing a daily OMAD where you're only having one meal a day. The more you have to lose, the more you can get away with being extreme in the beginning. And I want to use this very, very kind of properly here. These are not things that you should be doing the same all the time. I think everything in its sense should be a little cyclical and everything is nuanced based off where you're at in a current position of where you're at with your, you know, your health, your body composition, the whole nine yards. Um, someone that's really, really, you know, doesn't have a lot of weight to lose is naturally leaner females. Even like you need to be really, really careful with fasting because it is very, very easy to overdo it. The one thing about fasting that I always like to remind people is the fasting state is not as important as the fed state. Like if you are not giving your body the proper nourishment and nutrients in the eating window, the fasting magic kind of goes away. You're going to you're going to bonk really really fast because you're going to be underfed, malnourished and just not getting enough what your body needs to thrive. Um, something I mentioned on the call yesterday is there's a difference between survival rate and thrive rate, right? So what I mean by that is a lot of recommendations, um, are like, oh, you only need X amount of protein, right? Well, that's, that's a great survival baseline, but in order to thrive, like we want a little bit more protein, right? We like, and that's one thing that I think a lot of these recommendations kind of get a little, um, easy to confuse sometimes because it's not really the truth for thriving, right? We want to find something that makes you feel amazing, right? and makes you really, really good at burning fat. It makes it really, really easy to stay lean. Um, and it makes it really sustainable in the long run because looking good year round is a goal for all of us, right? And it's just not easy to do because you don't have the systems in place. You don't have the right structure and you're metabolically not set up to be able to do that, right? And the more metabolically flexible, flexible and like the more metabolically active your body is, the more flexibility you have built into the diet. So it's more sustainable in itself. So that's why, you know, having muscle mass, having strength training, having proper movement, having good sleep and stress management, and then being able to introduce some of the things I'm going to talk about today in the nutrition space that make it easier to do that. So when it comes to fasting, here's one thing I will say. I'm not a really, really strict intermittent faster, and I'm not something that I, even as a coach, I'm really strict even prescribing. But the one thing I do try to be pretty strict with a lot of clients is you will be amazed on how much your sleep will improve if you stop eating three hours before bed, right? So if you go to bed at 10 o'clock, make your last meal or last thing that goes in your body, both food and liquid, 7 p.m. Now, that's a great way to create an intermittent fasting structure, right? Like for me, my cutoff is 8 p.m. So if I stop, and I'm not perfect at this either. This is one thing I want to be transparent with all you guys. Like I'm definitely nowhere near perfect on this. And it's actually the one thing that I struggled with the most in this entire challenge was the stopping of eating late. Um, but it was dramatic to see the difference in my sleep with Aura Ring and just how I felt even throughout that process subjectively. But if I stop eating at 8 p.m. and I have my first meal at 10 a.m., um, I've already created a 14-hour window of fasting and 10-hour eating window, right? So it's naturally, like, it's pretty easy to do if you stop eating, you know, a little bit earlier in the day, right? Versus trying to skip breakfast. I think it's more, um, I, don't, I don't know what the word would be. I would say it's more effective and it's more realistic to have, like, bigger breakfast and bigger lunch. I, I don't want to say maybe more realistic. Maybe that's kind of overstepping there. I think it's harder for some people to eat more of their food, especially the protein stuff that we've learned like in the beginning part of the day, but getting more of the protein and the bigger meals and breakfast and lunch and when the sun is shining, it's just 
more effective for the body when it comes to everything that you're trying to chase from a goal perspective. So, and then when you look at, you know, creating more of a deficit, fasting is great for that because removing a meal or removing some meals throughout the week are just great ways to add structure to eat less food because you're like, wow, I'm not allowed to eat during X hour and X hour. Um, so how you guys set it up is very subjective. Um, if you are someone that's maybe like, you know, got 10% or more to lose, or maybe even less than that, I think it's really, really powerful to even do a weekly OMAD. So once a week, an OMAD, for those that don't know it, is one meal a day. So maybe like one day a week, you say, you know what, on Monday, when I finish dinner, I'm going to only have my on Tuesday, the only meal I'm going to have is dinner. So going from dinner to dinner, 24 hour fast. Um, these are just easy ways for you to, um, you know, physiologically, it gets your body more effective at using fat. Because when you go a period without eating, so 14 hours intermittently, or a 24 hour fast, or a 48 hour fast, or an alternate day fast, um, your body has to tap into the stored energy that you have. Um, and there's you're going to run out of that glucose and glycogen pretty fast, your body really taps into becoming a little bit more in a ketosis state, and it starts to burn that stored fat, which is good. But also to double down on it, obviously you being in a deficit by eating a lot less food and only having one meal a day is another powerful tool to actually create that weight loss that you're chasing. So I think this is really the thing that we need to understand is there's a lot of parallels to creating deficits, but we really want to look on the things that make it really effective and efficient at the end of the day, because then we work smarter, not harder, right? So for all of you listening to this, for most people that I think want to be a little more health conscious, having one day a week where you do just only one meal a day is going to help facilitate that deficit that we're looking for. It's going to help get into those, you know, the fancy words like autophagy and cellular recycling that all these things that your human body does. Like when your body's sick, we don't eat for a reason because your body does its own kind of recycling system inside. So fasting also kind of promotes some of those benefits as well, which is amazing. But also what I love about it too is the mindset. The, the, the idea of fasting is the idea of going without. You can fast from social media. You can fast from caffeine. You can fast from food. You can fast from whatever it might think that you've maybe created some level of an addiction or dependence on. So it gives you back that control and that power to understand that like, I don't need this to survive, right? Or I don't need this to even thrive. Like I don't need to be eating every two hours, right? And I think the ones that are really dependent, like uh, you know, your diet with hyper palatable foods or processed sugars and carbs, like your body gets these cravings more frequently. And how to get rid of those cravings is by focusing more on meals, right? Is by having some fasting structure, is by eating more whole foods. Uh, you know, like the basic things that everyone talks about. But when you give your body that time without you realize like, wow, that was not as hard as I thought it was, right? So doing that is more of a practice is both physiological and psychological. So, and I think the benefits weigh on both sides almost equally. So that's one thing that's a very powerful tool for creating flexibility. A second thing is carb cycling. The one thing I will tell you from all my experience, both personally for myself and clients, carb cycling is one of the most effective tools for weight loss. Number one, being in keto or being on a low carb diet is a great way to create a deficit because you are removing a almost an entire food group from your diet. Naturally, you're going to eat less when you remove a food group. So there is that. But also, when you have less carbs, your body goes, well, oh shit, I only have protein and fat today in my body. Well, protein's not that efficient in metabolizing for energy, so I have to use more fat. Obviously, fat that's coming from the food and the dietary sources that you're giving it, but then also learning how to be like, hey, let me tap into a little bit of what I have. You know, being in a deficit, you got to remember if your body burns 3,000 and you're at a deficit, your body needs to make up that difference somewhere. And that's the whole point of tapping into what's stored. So in order for you to get really good at fat burning, you need to be able to tap into these storages. 
So having some type of carb, carb cycling, it could be done a few ways. Number one, you can pick like two, three days a week where you go really, really low carb. Higher fat, high protein. Protein should always be pretty equal for most days. I would say at least six days a week you're hitting your protein goal. Um, or you can do it within the day. So maybe only one meal a day has a lot of carbs. So if I do all my carbs after my workout, the other two meals are high fat, high carb or high protein. So that gives you basically a 24 hour carb fast a day. So you're only having carbs every 24 hours once a, once a day. That gives your body more of the ability to tap into some of these storages. So those are two things that I think are very powerful. It's like number one, in order to become metabolically flexible, you need to be in a deficit so your body can learn and tap into what's stored. But the two systems and protocols that I would use is some type of fasting intermittent intermittently daily or a daily OMAD or a quarterly one, two, three day fast. Um, both physiological and psychological benefits are there. And then I would do some type of carb cycling regimen for those that want to be a little bit more strict. And to be honest with you, that there's a lot of benefits to just doing that in general because having that metabolic flexibility comes from your body's ability to say, I don't need carbs to be high energy and functioning at a high level. If you give them to me, cool, I'll use them. If you don't give them to me, cool, I'll use fat. Um, and that's a very empowering thing as a diet approach because you're not dependent on anything and you shouldn't be dependent on anything. Now, the other part that I talked about was the 80% rule. 80% of your food should be focused on protein and produce. And when I talk about protein, I talk about animal more than plant. Plant proteins are not inherently bad. They're just, they come with a little bit more anti-nutrients and they're less bioavailable. Meaning you can have 50 grams of protein from an animal source, 50 grams of plant, and you're not gonna digest and metabolize 50 from the plant, right? So when you look at like phytates and lectins and oxalates and some of these plants thing, a lot of the carnivore people like to demonize these things as bad. To be honest with you, once you cook these things, a lot of that stuff goes down anyways. Um, but it is true because they're less bioavailable, right? So your body does not have the same absorption rate as something like an animal protein. So I personally, and I know for people that are vegan or vegetarian, um, for moral reasons or animal right, whatever the thing is. I, my, my goal here is not to step on anyone's opinion of what they decide to be vegetarian or vegan for. I am just telling you transparently for as a coach, from a health perspective, it's not ideal. It's one of the only diets that requires you to actually supplement. Now, that being said, if that's your choice, more power to you. Just remember, it's gonna be harder and you're probably gonna need to supplement to some extent. So I always encourage more animal protein than plant protein. Second thing is always look at the highest quality sources of protein, right? So I like grass-fed, wild-caught, you know, pasture-raised. Um, when it comes to plants, I all love organic stuff. I don't really screw around with anything else. Um, so when it comes to plant or animal, picking the highest quality stuff you can do. Protein should always be a big focus because it's the most thermogenic. It has the highest thermic effect of food. Um, it's not really a, uh, a source of energy for the human body. So your body's not going to store it. Um, and it's the one thing that's going to help give your body enough amino acids to actually facilitate muscle growth. And when we look at muscle growth and the development of muscle, it increases metabolism. So like downstream, it has all these beneficial effects. So protein needs to be that. There's a huge piece. Second thing is produce, right? Produce is a natural way to get what God gave us for carbohydrates. And it's, you know, for me, it's mainly fruits and some vegetables. For some people, it's more vegetables than fruits. Some people, it's 50-50. Who cares? Pick something for you that feels more sustainable. Because when the cool thing about produce is nature's carbohydrates come with fiber. Fiber is a thing that's not going to help you just go poop. It's going to be the thing that's going to help regulate blood sugar a little bit more effectively. It's going to be the thing that's going to help with satiety a little bit more. And the thing that I always say is a running joke is I don't know any people that really eat animal protein and produce only and overeat. No one's come to me and be like, yeah, I really just been putting down this salmon, these oranges, and this fucking arugula, and I am so overweight. <laughs> like, it's so 
hard to do that, right? So naturally, when you focus on whole food sources, it's really hard to screw up a diet, right? So 80% of what you put in your body should be focused around protein and produce. Flexibility outside of that is up to you and what you desire. Second thing that I like to have an 80% rule on is 80% of my food is home cooked. So if I have 21 meals a week, three times seven, um, you know, three meals a day, seven days a week, that's 21 meals. That means that I could have four meals a week where I eat out, right? DoorDash, restaurant, whatever it might be. Um, for some people, that's hard, right? But for most of us, as you start to cook more and you get a little bit more in tune with your body, you realize, wow, it's so much easier to sustain a healthy diet and good nutrition when I'm the one that's controlling what I bought, how I cooked it, and I put it in my body myself. Um, and I think having that connection back to your food is probably one of the most empowering things that you can do because we want to have a good relationship. We don't want to look at it as just a source of energy. We don't want to look at it as this thing is just going to fill us up so we're not hungry anymore. You need to understand that food is data, it's information, it's nutrient, and it's nourishing for the human body and it's both on all things physical, mental, emotional. Like it's the thing that gives us everything. So the more that you can connect at it from, you know, from farm to table through the process of shopping for it, cooking for it, the whole nine yards, I think the better off you always will be in nutrition. The last part that I want to talk about today, so don't go too deep in the weeds with everything per usual, is to get down the rabbit hole of how you eat. Um, if you're someone that wants to lose weight, use smaller plates, use chopsticks, use smaller forks and spoons. It's a weird thing that sounds like a hack, but it's true and it works. If you eat with big plates and big utensils, you will naturally eat more. Second thing, slow down while you eat. Take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. Say grace if you want to. Sit down at the table instead of walking and doing on the go. Put your body into a relaxed state. Parasympathetic is rest and digest it is in the word right like it is in the definition of parasympathetic right so when you think about optimal digestion you need to remember that slowing down when you eat not being stressed out when you eat chewing more of your food try to think about drinking your food instead of eating your food so what i mean by that is take more bites Right? Don't just like eat like my dog, or one bite swallow, right? Like take your time. Like, you know, when you look at digestion, number one, it starts with your eyes. When I look at something and I get hungry and I'm like, wow, that looks really good. Really good. I start salivating in my mouth, right? Because even <laughs> it's funny that I'm thinking about this. Like I'm thinking about steak right now um, and my body's now starting to foam like my dog's. But when you do that, like that sal the saliva is really what's going to help with the digestion enzymes and everything through that process. That's step one. Step two, which you control as well, it's voluntary, is chewing. The more chews per bite you can take, the more you can drink your food, the more you can help the digestion, right? Cutting your food into smaller bites instead of bigger bites. These are things that like a lot of us just don't think about. Slowing down taking more bites per chew or choose more bite, however the wording is correctly on that. Like these are things that are going to help you guys. Um, not overeat. And when you eat, eat to 80% full because you got to remember there is a delay between the brain and the stomach. So when you go and you eat really, really fast, like I'm, I can still go, I'm still hungry. Then you get to a point where you're like, wow, I'm so tired. I ate too much food because you skipped by going so fast that you skipped that delay in the signal that happens, right? So taking your time, and I live by the 80-20 rule for so many things, but taking the time to 80% of the food's home cooked, 80% of the food's focused on protein and produce, 80% full, you know, and this is a great way to add balance into it. And it's just a great way for you to think about food. And the last part of how to eat is when you're at a restaurant, you're at home and you're someone, most of these tips are more focused for weight loss. But at the end of the day, I think from health in general, eat fiber, protein, and fat first and save the carbs, the, you know, the simple carbs for last. So if I have steak and potatoes or 
but potatoes and butter and broccoli i would eat the steak and broccoli as much as i can first and then i would start to eat the potatoes later because if i eat the potatoes and the bread rolls and the butter first i'm filling myself up on the stuff that's going to be not as nourishing for the body uh, not as satiating for the body um, and then I'm going to probably naturally leave the stuff that's going to be better for me on the plate, right? So if you can change even the order you eat your food in, you make a big difference, right? So take those tools, guys. Like when you look at becoming more metabolically flexible, playing around with fasting windows are very powerful. Don't be too extreme with this because too many people screw that up. Play around with carb cycling, days of low carbs, days of high carbs, days of medium carbs, meals with high carbs, meals with low carb. Like just cycle the carbs naturally, right? Get your body becoming better at using fat as a fuel source. Um, pay attention to how you eat. Um, and then at the end of the day, the more you can control from farm to table, you shopping, when you eat seasonally from like a farmer's market and you eat a lot of animal protein, it's really easy to give you the variety that you need throughout the year. And you're, you're putting stuff into your body. That's hard to overeat. Um, if 20% of your food was packaged with a barcode, a bag, a box, then yeah, then you have enough flexibility where you can still have the sweets. I love chocolate chip cookies. I love eating out at the restaurant with my girlfriend. I love having red wine. You know, those are the flexible items that I want to keep in my diet forever. And I'm not going to stop them. But 80% of the time, I'm eating enough animal protein to facilitate the goals that I have. I'm eating enough produce to actually give me the health and nutrients that I need. Um, you know, and I'm doing all these things that I talk about too. And some of it can just become very habitual when it becomes something that has become a habit for you guys. But in the beginning, it requires conscious effort. And conscious effort is something that is not easy because it's not a habit yet. And once it becomes a habit, it's then easier to sustain. So hope you guys can take away something from that as always. If you like this one, give it a nice little thumbs up. If you think your mom, your dad, your roommate, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your Instagram followers can learn from something like this, share it to the people. I do this because I want to share it because I do this because it motivates me to see you guys win. So take care. Have a great weekend. I'll see you guys next week.